You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this is the sixth installment of the fall sessions that I've been doing with Aaron. And man, I have I have a lot of fun recording these, right? I love the conversation that we've been having, and today's podcast is no different. The topic at hand is rules and regulations. Now, he's from Michigan. I'm from Iowa. Two different worlds. Uh, if you were to ask any serious hunter who maybe has had the opportunity to hunt both of those places, the rules and regulations are different. The season dates are different. The uh, amount of deer that you can harvest in a given state is different. And we talk about all that stuff, right? We talk about what we would do if we were the president of hunting and we were in charge of all the rules and regulations and, and what. Uh, what we would do in given scenarios. We we talk about what we would change in our own states, what we'd like to see changed in our own states. And other than that, it's just like a really good conversation about uh, deer hunting rules and regulations. Uh, and uh, oh, one thing, it's kind of a hot, hot topic and the question that I asked on Instagram. So if you go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Instagram page, leave a comment about uh, if you would pay more money to reduce non-resident uh, for your tag to reduce non-resident tags and kind of make up for uh, make up for that. And so uh, I believe non-residents have their place in any state, but I also believe that the rules and regulations should be based about off science and data first and foremost. And second, the residents of that state. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not sure why I believe that. It's just I feel like if you live 
If I, I live in the state of Iowa, I feel like the rules and the deer hunting rules and regulations should be in the benefit of the residents first and the non-residents second. Uh, and so that's just my take on some of that stuff. So uh, we, that's uh, another part of the conversation that we, we dive into as well. All right, so let's see today. we got some commercials heading your way here. Um, first off, thank you guys very much for taking time out of your day to listen to this. Please don't skip through these uh, commercials because the reason I, I take time to do this is because they pay me. Uh, I've created a really good relationship with these brands, and uh, that's how I get paid, man, and that's why this content is free. Right. And, and so uh, take take uh, two minutes here. Listen to what I have to say. And uh, then we can get on with the podcast. So here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Tether just got something in the mail today. And it is one of the brand new uh, saddles from Tethered. I'm going to try it out this weekend. It's got some big pockets on the side of it that I, I like. I'm not necessarily into the, the basic, most minimalistic uh, things you know, but here's what I will say that this saddle is going to allow me to keep my grunt tube, my cell phone, my, uh, maybe a bleak call, which I never use, uh, bow hooks for when I'm climbing hand warmers, so forth and so on. Just, just some stuff to keep on my side that, uh, I, I have easy access to when I'm hanging from a tree. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, testing that new the new saddle out and uh, letting you all know about it. So if you want to go find out more about the the new uh, saddles that have come out from Tethered, go to tetherednation.com and read up on all of their what are, what are we reading up on? Uh, climbing sticks, saddle hunting accessories, uh, s- platforms, and saddles themselves. So Tethered, wasparchery.com. Di- first, I'll just lead with the discount code NFC20. NFC20 and uh seek and destroy baby their their broadheads absolutely destroy what they hit and just like any any broadhead you put it through a heart or double lungs it, that animal's going to die right but it's the marginal shots and i've had i've had a couple in my bow hunting career that unfortunately don't when it doesn't work out the way that you want it to you have to then rely on your broadhead to do its job and uh, man, I, I, I've lost one doe because of a, a, a marginal shot where it didn't, it didn't work in my entire, well, I, I take that back. One doe and of course shipwreck where that was just a bad shot and I shot him above the vitals and uh, he did not die. But uh, other than that, wasp makes marginal shots good shots with the amount of damage that they do last year was a, a perfect example of that uh, a couple of years ago where i shot a deer chest on hop hop dead and uh, so wasparchery.com read up on the mechanicals and uh, the fixed blades that they offer i'm a huge fan of the three blade jackhammer so uh and most of their heads are still made in america which is amazing i, I love it vortexoptics.com i'm actually head as as you're listening to this i'm probably in a car heading to wisconsin for a day of 
recording content with some of the people on at Vortex and I'm looking I'm really looking forward to getting back up there I do this once a year where I go visit the Vortex uh, facility and record some podcasts and make some content with some of the guys up there and I'm even from the sounds of it going to be playing in a softball game tomorrow night uh, on the on the Vortex I hope they know that I suck at softball so uh, hopefully they uh they it's not like a really intense league where they have to win to to move on because if i i'm almost an automatic out anyway i'm looking forward to that awesome binoculars awesome uh oh they the the uh, triumph hds i i man i just got them in today haven't had the opportunity to open the box up but there's i looked online read up on some of the uh the the, uh, specs dude it's just a really cool well-priced uh for the the tree stand hunter type of uh, binocular and so go to vortexoptics.com read up on it and uh spotters range finders binoculars rifle scopes red dots you name it they have it plus their vip warranty so uh vip warranty you break it bust it send it in they fix it for free and then they they send it back so all right and then last but not least hunt stand dude i'm on hunt stand a lot these days uh not gonna lie anytime i have a couple minutes to blow i pull up hunt stand i'm reading up or i'm I'm e-scouting new properties old properties access routes i'm just thinking about deer hunting all the time and when you are messing around with a hunting app like HuntStand, it just allows you to have your head in the game even out of season. And so, oh, here's a good spot. How do I access this spot? What happens if the wind's out of this direction? How do I access it on on that this wind direction? Okay, what if it's a completely opposite wind? I still want to hunt this area because it's good. How do I get in there? And so you're just going through different scenarios and I, I strongly feel that that makes you a better hunter. Uh, go to huntstand.com, read up on all the functionality, and while you're there, check out the new white, uh, the pro whitetail platform. I think you guys will enjoy. And that's the commercials, ladies and gentlemen. What are we doing? Let's get into today's episode with Aaron and this sixth installment of the Fall Sessions. Hopefully, you guys enjoy. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fifth install. Or no, sixth. This is the sixth installment. Is it? I think so. This the sixth installment of the fall sessions, and uh, I am I'm blessed to have Aaron in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dude, how do you think these have gone so far? I don't know, man. I I really enjoy them. I I may sound like a, a dummy sometimes, but you know, I'm just speaking from my experiences and what I, what I do. And, but honestly, it's, it's just refreshing to talk to someone like, you know, you and I get the podcast game, like, cause we're in it every week, multiple times for multiple years. And it's like, we can just sit here and BS like we're sitting across, you know, from the table from each other. So that's what I really like is just, you know, no holds bar, no, no really, uh, you know, script we're going off of and we're just rolling with it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we've provided some good, not necessarily, obviously the entertainment uh, aspect, but I think the educational or the information that we've discussed and talked about has, uh, could, it could be helpful as well. 
For sure. Yeah. And, and honestly too, I've had some of my listeners reach out to me saying, man, I love what you're doing with Dan, uh, on the, on the nine fingers podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think I've converted some people over there too that. Oh, that's a win. So that's, that's always good too. You know, that's a win-win there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a couple people reached out to me and just said, haven't listened to the nine fingers, but now I'm listening to it because you guys are doing this little series and they're yeah. liking it. So yeah. good feedback on my end. That's great. Same here. Same here. Um, well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure there's some cro there's there's plenty of crossover there. I'm sure if I had to guess, you know, some of the guys who listen to yours also listen to mine, and vice versa. So, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, how was your week? Anything cool, crazy, fun happen? Awesome, man. We we just had our Michigan Total Archery Challenge event. Oh, just got yeah. back. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was up north uh, in Thompsonville, so Crystal Mountain for any Michiganders that know about that area, but did the tack thing, man. Uh, you know, I work full-time for Latitude Outdoors, so I was in the booth all weekend, got to shoot two courses, though, uh, met a lot of people, shook a lot of hands, and, you know, had a lot of fun, drank yeah. a lot of alcohol. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, that old alcohol, that'll sneak yeah. up on you when you're not looking. Um, I've chill. never, I've never been to one. I think I told you this uh, before, but I think, uh, my, my buddy, John, who's also on the, the sportsman's empire network, and he's the host of the Oklahoma outdoors podcast. He has, he's real close to where they hold the, uh, the TAC event down in Oklahoma. Uh, I forget the name of, I forget the name of the place, but anyway, he says it's pretty fun. He he does it every year, and he's trying to get me to come down and do it with him at some point. So if I go to one, it'll probably be probably be that one. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, man. It's you know my perspective on it's a little different because I've always been working a booth with either yeah. a partner or my job, but uh, you know a lot of people roll through there, and a lot of people that I talk to, they're shooting multiple days. Like I know guys that shot six courses over the the course of three days yeah you know and it's like they they make an event of it let's yeah. go up there get an airbnb with friends and and just go and have fun kind of like a little mini vacation and yeah. um that's what i would do if i was not like in the position you and i are in kind of like in the back end of things as well yeah. i'd definitely be like get your closest buddies get an airbnb and just go up there and have a good relaxed weekend how many arrows did you lose two uh three three in two courses so out a total of 40 targets uh I, I actually physically lost one left one on the mountain but i broke two other ones so okay. you know lose i didn't shoot very well the first day the second day dude i i mean it was as money yeah. <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to yeah. you i was shooting really that's well. a good feeling that's a good dude. it I, is i'm stroking them i tell you this yeah. uh i would have to come with a lot of arrows if if, if <laughs> i had to leave today to go to an event uh i haven't shot in a while i'm trying to like rehab a shoulder and so yeah my uh i haven't pulled out the 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 bow in, in quite some time and i need to do that i need to get it, i need to get back <laughs> it got, at it yeah and it got to the point now don't get me wrong the courses are hard but it got to the point the second day we had a big group we had like 10 of us mm -hmm. we're all close friends and everything and and we were making the shots harder so you're supposed to have your foot on the cone that they have there yeah but we'd move off a foot or two still safe with it but we'd move off and like shoot through little gaps of trees for like four inches you know and just yeah. try to sneak arrows through there so we were trying to make it a little more competition um but it, it was all good fun yeah man sounds fun okay uh let's see here 
I'm trying to think. Let's just get into it. Let's just get into yeah. today's episode. And, and I want to talk about rules and regulations. All right. Okay. Um, and, I, you know, obviously I live in Iowa and you live in Michigan. Uh, two kind of complete, almost completely different approaches to deer herd management, sure. if you were to ask me. And and so how, just straight up, straight up, how, how do you feel about Michigan's uh, rules and regulations? Man, um, I definitely want them change. Like some of them change for sure. I'm okay with them, but I feel like there just needs to be more precedent put on them. There needs to be more, honestly, from an outsider's perspective, it looks like the state of Michigan doesn't do that much. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's a money grab from an outsider's perspective. Um, and, you know, I feel like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth in a lot of ways. And now, and I'm not saying this is the DNR because this goes to higher ups from them as well. I mean, yeah. they're, the DNR aren't making the final decisions on a lot of these things. So um, there's definitely some things I want changed, you know, uh, culturally and historically, there's some things I want to stay the same, but I want them to change also. Yeah. So I'm talking out of both ends of my mouth. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, as a whole, like I'm okay with it, but I'd really like to see some things done differently. Yeah. And so it would surprise, it, this is what surprised me when I got into an in-depth conversation a while ago with, um, a guy named Skip Sly. Uh, he is a, he's a, um, a bow hunting advocate here in uh, in Iowa, and talking to him and talking to some other, uh, you know, like the uh, Department of Natural Resources people who work within that organ, uh, that uh, part of the state, they actually don't have very many uh, much say in how rules and regulations are introduced or put into law because that's all politicians. Right. And so right now, or well, I shouldn't say right now, it's every year, there's always some kind of new law or uh, that is trying to be passed, or they're trying to increase the amount of deer that can be taken, or they're trying to allocate more tags to non residents or landowners or just anybody really. They're just trying to up the ante on everything. And so um, what we, what you find is that it's politicians that are back or that are introducing these say hey, we want to introduce 7,000 more deer tags in the state in this in this state or at a a rifle season or at a, uh, a crossbow season or you know allocate an additional 10,000 you know to 10 you know allocate land or uh, more tags to landowners so they can sell them to uh, we, the list goes on about all the crazy stuff that happens and so uh, you know when, whenever these scenarios come up, I I get really frustrated because the people who are in it, that know the biology, that know the science, that know the numbers, they're not making any of the decisions uh, on how to manage a deer herd. It's the politicians, the, you know, the senators, the representatives. And that, that just doesn't make any type of sense to me. No, not at all. And I think, and I've, I've, I've been blamed or I, I put myself blame for it as well. Like the DNR point fingers at, at them is the easy button, you know, oh, yeah. until you really know, like you, 
I can't imagine you could roll into any DNR office or anything around the state of Michigan or Iowa or anywhere and walk in there and be like, ask them a question, you know, one buck or, or two bucks. Mm-hmm. Like what would, I can't imagine that all of them would say, Oh, two bucks is good. Two bucks. Yeah. They're fighting for us. Yeah. Like I got to really, you know, they're no dummies, yeah. you know? So it, I think the DNR pointing the blame at them is the easy button, but you're right, man. It's these people that really don't have a clue of what's going on. I don't know who the hell's telling them what to do and what to propose and stuff like that, which is very scary when you think about it. Yeah. Because they have the power at their fingertips to probably just be like, no, you know, it's not that big a deal. Let's get rid of all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I I just... the, the more I learn about how all this goes down, the the more I get pissed. And a lot of people, so I am here, I, w- I don't want to say anti. Here, here are some things in Iowa that we have to deal with every year. Um, non-resident landowners, right? They have to go through the draw system just like everybody else, just like any other non-resident does. And so there's laws that are being introduced every year that says, hey, landowners should be, even if they're non-resident, should be able to come in and hunt Iowa every single year. And so that's the scary one for me because what happens is then these land, then everybody floods to Iowa, the Mecca, right? And then it just displaces locals uh, and it increases land prices for people who, so it, it it starts to fade towards you got to pay to play. You got to you got to be rich, especially when Iowa is less than two percent uh, public land. And this everything I'm saying, I've already said again. I've already said before, but yeah. uh, that's that's a scary one. Um, and I'm not necessarily against landowners uh, shooting tags or you know shooting that. But I like to look I like to look a step further down the line and say what's the impact and how will this impact everything moving down the line. There's so many layers to this stuff that don't get addressed when they propose some of these bills. And quite frankly the people that do it don't care, right? And so yeah. the the other one that really frustrates me is hey, we want we want crossbows during archery during the archery season. All right. Well, and then and then people are like, well, c- certain people. I'm not necessarily anti-crossbow. I am. Uh, I you already have a, a season to use your crossbow in, in the late season here in Iowa, and they want it in the archery season. Well, I think Ohio. I don't know the numbers for sure, but Ohio is a crossbow state, and I think 70 percent of archery tags or something like that. 70 percent of archery tags are filled by crossbows. So mm-hmm. it just goes, it, it goes up now. Like the, the success rate goes up because it's an easier weapon to master. And in my opinion, uh, a cro- you know, crossbow is not archery. So, and that sometimes that makes people mad. What I'm trying to, the, the whole thing I'm trying to say is I don't want any laws in, in Iowa to be changed. I'm happy with where everything at is at right now. I feel like our state is well-managed. I feel like, um, uh, non-residents get an opportunity, you know, sometimes they got to wait depending on what zone they decide to hunt in. But, uh, and, and if you're a non-resident landowner, you have the opportunity to hunt as well. Maybe not during the archery season every single year, but you get other opportunities to hunt on your own property. And so 
I just am not a, like, I don't, I, I've seen what happens in other states when these laws get introduced, and it, it just murders everything that you're, that you come to love and expect, especially from a state of Iowa. It takes nothing to, to, uh, to wreck that with an, an, an additional, you know, 10,000 allocated tags that are added into the mix. And so, so I don't know, man, I, I, uh, I get I get really heated when it comes to to things like that. Yeah, no, I I I don't disagree with you. It's you know this weekend after it was Saturday night after or no I'm sorry Friday night after the tack event we were all back at Airbnb and we had some guys over and we were just drinking a couple of beers and and just talking and and we got talking about because uh, Michigan this last week as we're recording this they you know went to vote with a couple different you know, changes, proposals and everything. And one was going to be a statewide APR. So antler point restriction Mm -hmm. and it got squashed. I mean, it, you know, it got, it got turned down pretty easily, but so that got brought up. Somebody posed a question to me of like, you know, what would you like to do? And I'm like, honestly, I would like to adopt. Iowa's from a to Z adopt Iowa's whole gamut. And I said, not because they have bigger deer than us. It's not like we're going to, as Michigan, going to adopt Iowa's rules, and next year we're going to have just giants everywhere. Yeah. Like, and I don't want to say it sound like there's giants everywhere in Michigan or uh, Iowa. There's bigger deer per square mile, I would say. Mm-hmm. But it's not, from a, it's not from a bigger deer standpoint. It's just from the herd management, the tag allocations, the um, – registering your deer registering your harvest that sort of thing and i feel like their data in their seasons their hunting seasons make total sense Mm -hmm. way more sense um and and that's not gonna change the fact that michigan has you know twice as many or three times as many deer hunters as iowa i get that but to go to iowa you know, I have an uncle that shoots a crossbow because he's older and, yep. you know, he's got a bad shoulder. He can't go to Iowa and hunt with a bow unless he gets a doctor's note Yep. as a non-resident. And I don't know if that's for residents as well, but I'm like, to me, that could be a good thing. You know, yep. um, I'm not anti-crossbow either, but, you know, crossbows for youth, I'm okay with yep. to get him into it if that's the if that's the case. And then crossbows for senior citizens or your seniors or disabled, older Um, and disabled or, or disabled. Yes. Um, that's where I draw the line. Mm -hmm. You know, guys like you and I don't need to be shooting crossbows if we're perfectly healthy. Yeah. We don't, Uh, I don't care if you don't have enough time to shoot in the off season, you need to make the time you need to, that's not an excuse for me. Right. I don't, I don't mean to be so blunt, but that's just the way it is. I mean, you're shooting a crossbow. That's, you know, 400 plus feet per second. And, you know, there's no, you don't have to pull a bow back or nothing like that. Like you can't sit here and tell me that it's not easier for someone to shoot a crossbow. Now it is legal to use that weapon. hundred mm. percent. Get it. I am okay with that. But like you said, let's make a season for, it, or let's put some regulations on it that, so people aren't abusing it. I know yeah. people that are my age, I'm 36, perfectly healthy are shooting a crossbow because it's easier. And they've yeah. told me that. And I'm like, yeah. that is wrong. Yeah. You know, For, uh, speaking of Michigan, do you what do you feel would have the most impact? Would it be removing crossbows from the archery season, or would it be moving the uh, firearm season out of the rut? 
moving the firearm season out of the rut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it'll never happen, which is fine because it's November 15th. It's me. Yeah, I go back to historical, uh, the historical things that I really enjoy mm-hmm. is November 15th. You know, like that's, that's deer season that mm-hmm. that's when gun season I'm okay with having it starting at the 15th. If it's only four days long. Yeah. It, you know, our gun season right now is essentially like 28 days long. Yeah. You know, and we can shoot rifles. You can yeah. shoot rifles in a lot of a majority part of the state, you know, so that that's an issue, yeah. you know, and all the gun hunters that are listening to your podcast right now are just eating me alive right now. I get it. <laughs> but like, you know, I understand like our deer camp, we have over half of us, the older guys that I've grown up with, the, the guys that are like fathers to me that's all they do is rifle hunt, you know, and I get it. Like this might be their last fall. Like I understand, but man, like, you know, let's move it back five days, six days. My whole proposal is like, let's move it back to Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. because every year people get Thanksgiving. They usually get four or five days off. You know, that's just it because of Thanksgiving and black Friday and everything move it to opening day is that weekend families that come back home, you know, they're all together. It's like, Hey, let's, let's make this your tradition. You know, we're here, we can hunt, you know, we're, we don't get a lot of time to hunt. Boom. Right there. Yeah. And the rut is still going on. You know, I say move it back to that time frame, And uh, that's me being a, a, a more passionate bow hunter and yeah. wanting his cake and eating it too. But it's just like, I'm also not, I'm looking at it as far as like a, a herd management standpoint is from the whole state is dude, we kill a lot of deer in two days of rifle season mm-hmm. or even in one day opening day there's a lot of deer that get killed yeah so i would i would i would, I would like to move it back or shorten it for sure do in your group of friends or in your family when you do your your uh, your family hunt do people bitch about small bucks still or are they just out there to to have fun to do the traditional thing and and just shoot whatever comes by um, they don't really bitch about small bucks. You know, a lot of my close friends that are my age are more of, um, to the point now where it's just like, God, you know, we don't know how many falls dad or grandpa has left. So like, yeah. we don't need to bitch about it. It's like, but I will say, Dan is like all my friends, we leave for opening day. Now we go to a different state. We go to Kansas. We'll go to Iowa or we'll go somewhere, Ohio. We don't really hunt rifle season opening day anymore. And that's been like that for the last four or five years. Gotcha. Now the older guys, I will say, you know, 10 years ago or even five, six years ago, like a two and a half year old buck that's 100, 110 inches was like, you know, that was a big deer. We have made a step up from that with the older generation in my circle. Yeah. Now it's like the three-year-olds, we're killing more three-year-olds that are, you know, 120 to 125 to 130. And, you know, they're excited, way more excited about that. But we do have a, we do have a good amount of two-year-old, you know, hundred inch deer that get killed on opening day. Yeah. Um, so they're just happy to be out there, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, number one, you'll never make anybody happy, but I feel like if you really are trying to do what is best for a given state, then it's not going to make people happy. It's going to, I would feel like there would be a year or two of a bandaid rip type scenario. And then people would be like, okay, all right. Well, anyway, here's the new normal. And this is what we have to do now. 
And, it, yeah. and then, for example, once you start getting a higher age class of bucks and people see the, the change, until that, until they see, no one, nobody has vision. Nobody has the vision to see into the future of what an older age class would do. Um, how do you, where do you stand on uh, Michigan being a two-buck state? You know, I'm part of the problem. I shot two bucks last year. Yeah. You know, I, I could, it could be really easy for me just to shot the first buck last year and not buy two tags. But my whole thing is, if I can buy two tags, I'm going to because that that money goes to conservation. Yeah. So, and this is what I kind of tell people that like aren't hunters. You know, um, as far as like I'll take you know my mom for for instance. You know, she's not a hunter, but she could buy a tag and that is her donation to conservation. If she would like, you know, people like that, you know, that's just a, but my, my whole take is, yeah, I want one buck. I mean, for sure. I want it tomorrow. And I'd pay a hundred dollars for that one buck tag. I really would. Yeah. That's just, yeah. For older age class deer and for bigger deer, hundred percent. But in the grand scheme of things, I know that our herd would balance give it two, three years, our herd would be a way better balanced herd than we'd ha- than we'd have we've had for the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. Because that's gonna force guys and gals to shoot more does. Yeah. And those guys that, you know, want the meat so bad to that maybe don't like to shoot does, they're gonna shoot does. And that's just gonna in turn, you give it three, four years, it'll balance out the herd. Man, at one buck I would I'd give anything to have one buck back. You know what I mean? Um, Actually not back. We've never had it. So I guess that's kind of my take on it, but you guys as Iowa, I mean, if you're a landowner, you can shoot three bucks, right? Yeah. Three bucks, three bucks for landowners. Is that a big, is that a big thing for you? Like, do you look at that and like, man, I don't really agree with that. You know, it's, it's hard to say because a lot of, a lot of stuff that goes down, you know, that, that second landowner tag is coveted, right? I mean, you just it opens up what you can do if you're a landowner uh what you can pass and what you can you know what you're willing to shoot so um you have one archery tag and then you have one which would be considered a firearm tag and you can use that for early season muzzleloader you can use it for any of the shotgun season or the late season tag now you throw in your landowner's tag on top of that so anybody with four acres or more then can get a second tag um, I, I don't know if it needs to be based off, like if they need to bump up that four acres and, and make it more like 10 acres or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like, you know, we have so few hunters compared to you guys that I don't think it's a big issue right now. If, because a lot of the guys who do, Let's just say they're not filling their tag. They're not filling the, that that tag on any buck. So usually, what happens is they'll shoot like, uh, and I'm not saying this is the norm or anything. I'm just saying this is what I feel happens. They're going to shoot like a 140, then they're going to hold out for a stud, and then their their firearm season. Usually, some guys will do the muzzle, late season muzzleloader. Um, you know, most people that I know who are landowners, they have their statewide archery tag, then they have their landowners tag, which they use for during the during the rut. And so, whatever one they fill first, 
then they hold the other one for a giant. They're they're passing like they're they're managing their own land. They're they're passing yep. small deer. They they want to get that older age class, and then the the firearm tag is usually for a muzzleloader in the late season, and so I mean you can use it where really wherever you want. And so I don't know. I like there's a part of me that likes the the Kansas system, which is one buck. You you can you can you can use a gun with it. You can, during the gun season, you can use a bow during the archery season, whatever you want. We don't care, but you only shoot one buck. Now, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it depends on the amount of cover uh, in a given area too, right? So Kansas is, you know, more pasture, uh, less cover, uh, even than Southern Iowa. There's a, there's good cover in Southern Iowa, Northern Iowa, not so much, but so in certain areas, taking two bucks. I wish they could, I wish they could do what they do with does, right? So in Iowa, every County has an allocation to, to does. So some, some like the County that I live in, there's a lot of people and the doe tags run out fast. And then by the end of August, all of them have been purchased. But in my, the, the County that I grew up in, there's always like, 3,000 extra doe tags uh, after the first initial purchase. And so what you have there then is like just you can go back. If I wanted to, I could shoot as many does as I wanted. There's that many tags. Okay. There's that many tags left over. I wish they could put the science that, you know, the science they use there and say, hey, this is a one buck county or this is a two buck county. Uh, You know what I mean? And so to, to balance the herd. And so it would be it would be based off county. But I don't think, you know, I don't think that would ever go over because certain people, let's say if you have a, a river bottom ground in an all ag, in an all ag, that guy definitely wants to keep his second buck tag. While it probably won't affect the guy up, you know, in, in ag country once, once the cop, crops come out, right? Because yeah. everything's flooding down to where he's at anyway. And so that guy, you know, there's all these little micro eco- ecosystems, that are within every little place. And, and so that, that makes it difficult as well. So who knows, man? Tell me this. Do you think that uh, a landowner getting possibly three tags for the year is a bigger impact than the early muzzleloader season? Because I see a lot of residents killing giants in that early muzzleloader season in October. Like mm-hmm. I know I personally know guys that are like every year like killing giants. Yeah. Um what do you think is a bigger a bigger impact? Without really probably knowing the numbers just like as on on your head and what you see. Yeah. I, I you know I don't see the like for me anyway, I don't know personally of a lot of guys who actually hunt the early season muzzle loader. Okay. Yeah. So I don't really have any information on it. Now, what I will say is late season muzzleloader guys are slaying <laughs> giants. Yeah. Right. They don't even hunt the rut because they know when all the crops come out around their farm, they have standing crops in theirs or they have food plots and it just turns in. Yeah. Dude, I know guys who are not good hunters at all, who are smoking giants with muzzleloaders in, in the, late season every single year 
And it's just like they hunt, they hunt the archery season. They, they're not good at, you know, putting themselves in position for bow hunting. They can't make it happen, but their fail safe is the late season muzzleloader, especially if you have standing beans and you have the money to do that. And so, so that's where they're, they're finding their success. But outside of that, man, it's hard to tell because there's so, you know, there's so many, you cut, you go Interstate 80 in Iowa through Des Moines, and you cut the state in half north south. They're two yep. completely different states, right? It's all ag up, uh, flat ag ground uh, up in the northwest corner of Iowa. Yeah, there's some river bottoms and things like that. That, but everything gets like where where my grandparents grew up. There's deer there, but they're all stacked into these little river bottom properties, and then. Right off of that is where all my grandparents, and it was just ag as far as you could see. Ag as far as you could see. And so, man, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's I tough. feel like this conversation's always like, doesn't matter who you have it with. Yeah. I feel like it's always talking in circles. Because yeah. it's like, we want to do something different. We might have a couple of good ideas that we think are good ideas, but then it's like, it's just a revolving door of like talking in a circle. Yeah. Um, Because if you take, if you take a tag away from a landowner, what, I mean, there's no real benefit to being a landowner then. Uh, I've maybe, maybe, because if you take, if you take a tag away from a landowner, then you have to take a tag away from a non-landowner almost, right? You take a tag away from everybody. And I also think though that could be twofold, right? And yep. tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm gonna I'm gonna hot take here. Yep. Let's say you take that landowner tag away because you're gonna get guys because you only have to buy four acres. I say only, but yep. I mean, for some guys that's probably not that hard to do. Yeah. Um. Let's say you know you got guys buying tag or buying land just because of just to get that tag. Yeah. Now, in the flip side, if you take that away wouldn't that open up more public land possibly for you know for the state to buy possibly you know what i mean because i was you said it's only two percent public there's not a ton there so let's say you take that away i I mean the logistics that might be a nightmare but what i'm thinking is like if you have a certain amount of of hunters buying land and 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 just purchasing land just to purchase it for a tag Mm -hmm. do you think that might open up more public land possibilities for the state to buy i don't know man i don't know and maybe that four acres is so small that it's really not even going to make a big deal yeah you know yeah. like why would the state of iowa buy just four acres to put it in public land i don't know yeah so then what you're doing in, in a way it looks like you're taking something away from a landowner to give it to uh to everybody a, else. A not yeah everybody else yeah. well mm-hmm. i mean they could take advantage of it if they wanted to too, but I don't know too many guys who are private landowners in Iowa that go and hunt public too. I know a couple of them, but they save their farm their They save their farm for the rut or, or the best time of year. And then they, they go hunt public sometimes as well. Very few guys do that. A majority just, you know, they just go hunt their own farms. So they probably don't, they wouldn't take advantage of, of it. And I think, there would be there would need to be a ton of land purchased in order to make a difference i agree and that would yeah. be it's, it'd be impossible given the financials of all that mm-hmm. so um 
if you were president of hunting, <laughs> right? If you were the president of hunting or you were in charge of some natural resource committee and there was no vote, you didn't have to you didn't have to pass a any type of uh law you just implemented whatever you wanted across the entire country what are you doing hey putting me right on the spot there because it's so situational but as a general as a generality of everything i think uh i think every state um and this i might after i think about this more after we're done recording i'll probably change but right up the right up the rip every state is a one buck state non-residents coming into that state it has to be a draw like it's there's no over-the-counter stuff but it might you know it could be a year or two you know um i think it has to be Mm -hmm. county-based like you said like northern iowa is very open very not not a ton of timber i think i think you do an analyst of each of each state and county and you come up with a plan for those counties and those zones Mm -hmm. and you zone everything off. Um, and maybe that's when you go, okay, we can take two bucks per zone here, but the rest of it's going to be one buck. And, um, and then how I would do the doe allocation is the same, basically the same way you got to do your deer census to, to figure out how many you can take, but to try to keep that good balance there. But I, you know, the other thing is too, like non-residents fund a lot of States, you know, like, Nebraska right now, they just, they're basically cutting their tags, their non-resident tags and like, you know, almost 50%. Like that's a lot of ad or that's a lot of revenue that comes into that state from non-residents. Yeah. So like non-residents do fund a lot of that. Um, but I, I, you know, being a traveling hunter as well, I love to be able to do over the counter, but in the grand scheme of things, I like to try to position like, Oh, I can hunt Kansas this year and I'm going to draw Iowa in two years. Like, yeah. I don't have to, you know, you can, you can hopscotch, you know what I mean? And, and really make a plan there. I would really like to see like a draw because the way Iowa does it, $60 for a point for non-residents. So, you know, you're getting, the state's getting money that way too. And Mm -hmm. the hunter, the people aren't coming to hunt that, that that's just mailbox money in my opinion. So why not do a system like that? And then when the tag, when you do draw the tag, yeah, it's going to be a pricey tag. It's going to be 500 bucks or more. Um, and then you're just, you know, because it's coveted, and and in turn you're gonna make want you're gonna want more people to come to your state, or people are gonna want to come to your state because you have a better deer herd, you have bigger deer to chase, and it's not like an every year thing, so it's gonna be a little more sought after, I think. So right off the rip, and you know, that's it, it, as a as a thirty thousand foot view, I think that's some things that I'd really want to do. Yeah. If you were to ask this question to any resident of any state, if if we reduce non-resident tags, would you be willing to pay more for your tag? What do you think their answer would be? As for a resident of that for state. For a resident of the state, yep. I think you'd have a heavy lean towards yes, I'd pay more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, like I think that I think the like, kind of the fair weather guys that are maybe just rifle hunters, maybe the little older generation, they might be a little more reluctant, but mm-hmm. the guys like you and I, there's more of us than that older generation. I think they're going to be like, yep. How much is it going to be? Take my yeah. wallet. 
And here, here's the thing. There's so much old school mentality into this because number one, I paid twenty eight fifty for my statewide buck tag. Twenty eight fifty. That's it. <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah. Like, I feel like that should be almost fifty bucks. Uh, or something, you know. Some, if, let me ask you this, Dan. What if it was a hundred? Would you pay it? Yeah, of course I'd pay it because this is what I do. You know, if it was two hundred dollars, mm-hmm. I'd pay it because this is what I do. If it was five hundred dollars, I would pay it because this is what I do. Okay, yep. this is this is what I do. I don't do anything else. But it just because something is cheap doesn't mean it's affordable. So twenty eight fifty to me is nothing. Twenty eight fifty to you know somebody else could be. Geez, man, that's. I got. I really have to think if I can afford this or not, you know. Um, sure. And so, I don't know. I feel like the whole point of that question was, I feel like any state. I understand how non-residents bring money into states and the amount that they do. Well, because they're paying more, and I feel like a non-resident should pay more. But I also think that all the rules and regulations that are set should keep the the state's best interest or the the resident's best interest in mind first and foremost, because ultimately they're paying state taxes, right? They're paying, they are living there. They're paying the state taxes. And if you balance that out, right? uh, A tag in Iowa versus what I'm paying uh, a non-resident tag in Iowa versus what I am paying in taxes to the state every year. There's, there's your answer right there. Mm -hmm. Now, States like, uh, I think it recently Nebraska cut non-resident tags, you said. Um, yep. Wyoming, or was it Wyoming or Montana, did did the same. And I'm okay with that. I mean, it just means the line to get into the, those states are going to get longer. Uh, but the if you really want to hunt a state, like, move to the state. And that's what I say to the, these these non-resident landowners where they buy the land in Iowa knowing the current rule, and then they bitch about not being able to hunt here. Well, why did you buy land in Iowa if you already knew the rule the, the rule existed? So you're, now you're, you're moving into, you're, you're buying land in a state, and now you're trying to change the rule, right? That's what's mm-hmm. happening when people leave, Calif- they're leaving California and New York, and they're moving to Texas or, or Florida or something like that, and then they're, they're, they bitch about, the rules that are there and then they they vote in the same thing that's going wrong in their state when when they get there anyway that's that same mentality and so yeah. you love you love something about a state so you go buy land there then you want to try to change it for your own benefit and like i don't i don't like that let me i agree with you uh, i want to i want to take it a little step further and go back to your initial question and if you were to ask resident owners or resident Resident people of that state, if they would pay more for a tag, let me ask you this: A couple podcasts ago, you you know you brought to my attention that you talked to a guy at a, a sporting event, and you know you you realized that you know he was kind of talking a big game until he realized like who you, you know what you do and how how invested you are, and then maybe he's not as invested, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So let me ask you: in somebody that you know that might be like that, like you could say Fairweather or you know, they're just not as invested. They just do it to do it. Do you think those guys would be reluctant or willing to pay a little bit more? Like how, you know, what's your, where's your headspace on that? Okay. So here's what I would want to see. And this, this would have to be in-depth research, 
But I would want to see the average income uh, from the people who buy hunting license. And so uh, you, you don't have to give your name or social security number, but just a survey that says, how much money do you make a year? And I feel like the people who buy, who are hunters would be at the average or higher. The, the, the average would be at the state average and or higher, right? Sure. So, so people who are currently hunting are making more money than the average person. If that makes, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I would feel like the fair weather guys would still pay it, would still pay it. I'll pay a, you know, a 50 or a hundred dollars for, for a tag like that. But I see because I've been there before when, you know, when, when my mom and dad got uh, divorced, man, we, we didn't have much. I mean, we were, we were pinching pennies pretty tight and so an additional X back then though, the, the tag was $12 to get a, a deer tag. And even mm -hmm. then, you know, I can remember certain scenarios where like $10 was a thing, you know, back right. in the, the late eighties, early nineties. And so now times it by two, whatever you, now you're, you're, it's the same kind of thing. Some people may seem 28. I just. I would, I would, in order to make that decision, I would have to ha have some more analytics to look at. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of stuff that we're talking about is the yeah. numbers need to, the num the numbers need to be, we need to know the numbers before we yeah. make any knee jerk reaction. Um, because I don't want to see someone not be able to hunt because it's too expensive. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, right. Like, and that, that was like my next question too, is like, do you think it would be advantageous for the state to be like we're, for residents only for residents mm -hmm. if you're under this average line or whatever line that might be here is like a payment plan you can do and you have you know because I, I agree with you there's yeah. some people that are less fortunate and probably can't budget the way that a lot of other guys or gals can so it's yeah. like okay you know three or four installments. I know it sounds really like Billy Mays, but three yeah. or four installments of like this by this date, Yeah, you can still hunt while you're paying on it, but it needs to be paid off by this. Yeah, You know, would that be a way to go? Maybe, but it just becomes complicated for the state to have to figure that sure. out. Someone would have to manage that. And that's more money to a person instead of towards the natural resource. So you're ha you're having to hire someone to manage that that system and I just then I don't think it would be beneficial in the long run. Now tell me this, what about having like a booking agent like a Worldwide Trophy Adventures like a WTA that they'll float the cost, you know, so like if you're that booking agent, Dan Johnson is, Dan Johnson Inc and I'm a lesser, you know, can't really afford it. And I go to you and like, Hey, I want to buy, you know, I want to get a deer tag this year. You float my cost, your company does. And then I pay you back. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. the state's still getting their money. I know there's got to be cash flow going there, but there's a lot of companies that do it. WTA is one. Um, what's it? There's a couple other ones that float tag for yeah. people to go on these big hunts, but it could be like a booking agent almost. Yeah, if it if it's third party, I'd be more inclined to do something like that than actually have it be a state run program. Sure. 
So yeah, and that just generates more jobs for the state as well. Yeah, and there's ways that you could definitely work in conservation to that. Um, but that that could be an option. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. How much is a Michigan tag? Um, uh, I think I'm gonna be wrong. I'm gonna have to look it up real quick. I'll look it up right here. It shows you how much I really pay attention to. I just buy it every year. Yeah. So the cool thing about the, while you're looking that up, I'll say, uh, the cool thing, my, my first buck tag is 2850. My first doe tag is 2850. And then my second doe tag, I think is like 12 bucks. And so from there, it's all cheaper. Now, when it comes to tag prices, I think landowner tags are $4. For, oh, really? Yeah. For, for a landowner, a landowner's tag. I want to say it's four, four dollars. Um, dead air is not good, right? For how much? No, is... dead air is fine. You talk to Joe Rogan. Dead air is, is good to go. Yeah. We're just we're just looking stuff up. How here. much is? Um, uh... So a deer license, a resident. Uh, da, 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 why is it not giving me what I want here? Um. Yeah, dead air is fine. Everybody's. Oh, I'm sorry. Resident, landowner, any sex, two dollars. What? Two dollars for that tag. A resident landowner. A resident landowner. Tag. I live in Iowa. I own land in Iowa. Um, my any sex tag is two dollars. Okay. That All needs right. to be that need that price needs to go up. I feel. Because I think back in the day, the whole point of a non-resident tag was like, "Hey, I'm having problems with deer. I wanna, I wanna shoot some of these deer. You know what I mean?" And mm-hmm. uh, it's not like, but now it's something different. You know, it's like, "Hey, maybe, maybe it is," but now it's not. Like the 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 guys who are buying land strictly to hunt yeah they may they may farm it or they may cash rent the the ground out to someone who who farms it uh yeah like that they're not there for like herd management they're there to kill giant deer like to big bucks and that's what they're using it for and so i feel like the price of that needs to go up no i i would agree so a base license, so basically Michigan calls it a base license, but it's like your hunting license for a resident is $11, yeah. okay? So that's just for your hunting license for you to be legal to go hunting. Now a resident deer license is 20 bucks, okay? Uh, and then a resident combo, so that's, you know, two deer tags, basically uh, one's a buck tag and the other one's an either sex tag. It is 40 bucks. So you're looking at, you know, roughly $51 for a resident for a buck tag, an either sex tag, and a, and a base light, and a, you know, your hunting license. Yeah. Now for non-residents, if you want to know non-residents, um, a non-resident hunting license is $151 to come to Michigan to get your hunting license. And then a non-resident tag is 20 bucks. So you're looking at like roughly around 170 some dollars to come hunt Michigan as a non-resident. How much? 167. Uh, I think it's 171 or 100 okay. low 170s for a non-resident to come and hunt Michigan. 
Okay. Yeah, that's what I paid, and I thought that was dirt cheap for a non-resident. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's one of the cheapest out there that I know of. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I I felt that Nebraska was fairly cheap when I when I went out there. Maybe they raised their prices last year or something. Anyway, what, anyway, what is one of the cheapest states that you've been to well, that you can remember? Well, I went to, uh, I can't remember if it was Texas or Oklahoma. Well, not that I've actually hunted. N- Nebraska is by far the, the cheapest that I've actually hunted in outside of, you know, as far as uh, out of state hunts. But I think Oklahoma, you can buy a book. They give you, they don't just give you one, they give you a booklet. And you can shoot like two or three bucks and you can shoot uh, uh, like six does or something like that. I, I you know, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing there. But in Texas, I think it's the same way. They just give you a booklet. Alabama, I think they give you a booklet and you just mark it off as you go. Right. So it's not it's not <laughs> individual. So crazy. Yeah. For a while there, Alabama, I don't know if this has changed. You could shoot a buck every day of the season. That's wild. I think New Jersey, you can kill like five bucks. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. yeah. I, I I do wish Michigan's out-of-state tag was probably a little bit higher. Just a little bit. Yeah. I, I really don't know the number of people that come to Michigan to hunt. I really don't know that percentage and how many people are doing that. I can't imagine it's that high. Uh, a lot of it's probably people that used to be residents of Michigan that moved away and they yeah. come home for a Thanksgiving or like, Oh, I'm from Michigan. We got, my grandpa's got laying there. So I'm going to hunt. So that's probably a, a, a majority of the non-resident hunting. I would think. Yeah. Another thing that I would like to see is Iowa lower the age of the lifetime hunting license. I don't know, 40 or something like that. Charge a thousand. How, how old is it? I think it's, I think it's 60 or 55 or 60. So wait, wait a second. So you can, a lifetime goes until you're 55 or 60. No, no, no. A lifetime goes until you're dead, but you can't purchase it until you're a certain age. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Lifetime. That would be done. Yeah. Iowa you're... lifetime hunting license. Let's see here. Um, Non-resident hunting how much is a lifetime hunting license in Iowa? <laughs> this says $22. I don't, I don't think that's right, though. That Re- can't be right. Resident hunting, $22. How much is a lifetime hunting license in Iowa? I don't know. Does $22 not. cannot be right. You know it can't be right. So right here, uh, from Michigan... Uh, lifetime the fee for a comprehensive lifetime hunting and fishing license is one thousand and twenty five one thousand twenty five dollars and she'll include all the following a resident small game license resident firearm deer license and resident bow and arrow deer license so that's what it is in michigan i don't know the stipulations on it though like when you can buy it yeah yeah i I, i'm gonna have to do some more digging to that because that's just oh here it is See, this says sixty-one fifty. That can't be right. That's got to be in the thousands, I would say. Yeah, there's some. 
there's some uh, stipulations here in asterisks that I'll have to read into. Anyway, I think it'd be cooler if uh, they they drop that because they're still getting their money out of it. And even you sure. know most people most people stop hunting at a certain age anyway. Uh, you know, like late seventies, I would guess people don't go out as much anymore. Maybe if you're serious, you still buy your tag anyway and maybe go out for a, a weekend of gun season in, in your late seventies. But most people are, mm. are hanging it up by then, if I had to guess. Yeah, I would agree with you. So um, now here, just kind of going back to what we were talking about in this, you know, one stamp, like, I think if you, this is the hard conversation to have because what I want, and let's say someone like my stepdad wants art is too complete my my stepdad is a passionate hunter he loves going out but he's not waiting for a four-year-old to come by every year Mm -hmm. right even in iowa he's 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 pulling the trigger on he's he's more of a not necessarily it's a brown it's down guy but he's not a he's not like me and he's he's passing three-year-olds okay he's shooting he's shooting stuff especially in the shotgun season Uh, anything that comes by is getting shot when they when they if they do a drive or if they're just sitting either way this is the hard part is like i can't just think about myself i have to think about everybody else because if i want if if i if everybody was the same then i would say implement iowa's rules and regulations in absolutely every state across the nation that as far as whitetails are concerned and that would i i feel like everything would balance out but that's a guess I'm, i'm not a biologist but I, people don't think like that. Like not everybody thinks like that. So if I, if I am saying, if I'm introducing some of these certain rules and regulations to make deer hunting, um, like the, the age class up, then I'm taken away from the guy who just like, dude, I love hunting. I'm going to shoot animals. I don't care if it has big antlers. I don't care if, you know, I understand that they can still do those things under those rules and regulations like Michigan with their antler point restriction and, and adding that statewide. That's kind of a, that's harsh. I feel like that would, that would be, that would be harsh. Even though um, I have a buddy that lives in Northern Michigan and he was, he lives in an antler point restriction uh, zone. And he said, I have seen direct results of that APR meaning yeah. bigger bucks. Yeah. And to combat that, because I have my, my co-host in our podcast, David Riley, he, his grandfather is, I think in his early eighties and still to this day goes out and just wants to kill his buck, you know? Mm-hmm. And his argument is like the APR would be good, but also for like those older people, you know, or the, or the youth, they have to ob- uh, obey by those rules. And it's like, yeah, but grandpa just wants to go out and shoot his buck opening day. Yeah. That's, that's fine. I, I agree with you. So I would say, you know, to combat that, like when you hit 65 years old, you can shoot whatever you want after that okay. kind of thing. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. Almost like, almost like my dad just turned 65 a couple days ago. My dad is still, he still shoots a vertical bow. He still waits for a three-year-old. Um, he's kind of an anomaly in that way, in that sense. But like uh, a lot of those guys and gals, when they turn 65, let them shoot whatever they want. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be an APR because I think the percentage of those people is not as high as you really think. Right. Um, I think for the youth, 
that and, and maybe when they get to 13 14 years old or something like that um then they have to start obeying yeah. by the by everybody else's playing field but then when you get to 65 it kicked because when you get in 60 when i think it's you when you turn 65 in michigan you uh get the senior pricing for all the tags so my yep. dad only pays like five bucks for his tags yeah now. yeah i feel you yeah man good conversation today i it's something that it's it's it is the hardest thing and the most confusing to me number one just being like the people you are mad at the dnr are probably not making any of the decisions right, they're exactly. they're probably for in, in Iowa, they're probably doing the allocation of doe tags per county. But outside of that, you know, shotgun seasons, rifle seasons, archery seasons, dates, tag out, uh, tag allocation to landowners and non-residents. That's all done by politicians. And um, I would, I would, if I was president of hunting, I would say politicians cannot make decisions on hunting like hunting rules and regulations it's all done through the department of natural resources yeah yeah i agree so. with that 100 percent. anything else you want to add before we shut her down today no man good conversation uh appreciate having me on again yep. and uh yeah it was great yeah there's going to be a, a delay there's going to be one week without the fall session Aaron's uh, being lazy and going on a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I got to spend some family time, man, where I can just turn my phone off and not have to worry about anything. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Hell yes. All right. Enjoy your vacation, man. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dan. Cool. And there you have it. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Aaron. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download, record. Please go leave me a five-star review whenever you get the chance. Uh, please go and support the, the brands that support this podcast. Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Hunt Stand, uh, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing a couple more with you coming down the path. And then that's it, man. Good vibes in. Good vibes out. If you're going to be in a tree, it's that time of see it's that time of year, man. Wear your damn safety harness and we'll talk to you next time.